You're listening to the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. Okay, James, we're back with another edition of the Leaf Report Podcast. Where do you want to start today? I'm, I'm going to leave the floor to you. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting after the Arizona game that Mike Babcock looked probably the most frustrated that, that we've seen him. But You know what, I'll ask you this. Do you think that he could get into trouble here by... I mean, it kind of feels like he's throwing his goalies under the bus. I mean, I know that they haven't been good, but it's so early in the year and there's a lot of season to go. Do you think he could get himself in trouble by saying some of the things he has so far? As far as the goalies are concerned or just in general? I think mostly the goalies, but maybe there's something else that stands out to you as well. Well, one of the things he said about the goalies, and it was specifically about Jonathan Bernier and his slow starts in games, is he said, I'm not just going to bury my head in the sand and pretend these things don't exist. I'm going to confront them and, and say that they need to improve. Mm. I, I, I get that, and I think that makes sense. I think what's going to be interesting is the grander point that you're making. Um, how is this going to take its toll on Mike Babcock? Like, this was one of the questions we had when they hired him. This, has got, this guy is a winner. Like this, he has won every single place he's gone. He made the playoffs 10 straight years in Detroit. Uh, he went to a cup final in Anaheim. He's won two Olympic gold medals. Like He has won everything. And now he's going to be in a situation where winning is not going to be common. And you know, as much as we can sit back and say the results of the game don't matter, for people invested in the game, the amount of time you put into the game, the, the amount of work that goes into it, losing sucks Like and losing hurts. And you wonder how that's going to take its toll on Mike Babcock. Like we're three weeks into the year and you saw how frustrated he was after the game last night. I think he's really trying James to be positive. Like he is trying to to keep positive all the time, but it's going to be interesting three months into the year. If they're still losing a lot of games, uh, how that starts to affect him. And the thing too here that's different than anywhere he's been. I mean, I guess team Canada, but team Canada is a whole different animal in that, you know, you're kind of expected to win. I mean, the difference here is that any anything you say that, that can be twisted is probably going to get twisted by the media. I mean, people yeah. haven't really been paying attention to the Leafs because of the Jays. I think that might change a little. We're going to start to get you know some of the bigger columnists out. The, the talk radio already, I can tell, is starting to talk more about the Leafs. There's going to be more attention on them. You know, let's say they keep losing. I mean, they've got one win in the first eight games. Let's say they've only got three wins after 15 games and Babcock's throws more guys under the bus and I mean we know he's not very happy with the goalies he was he was disgusted with that goal that Reimer let in I mean I right when that goal went out I looked at the bench and Babcock did I don't know if there's video of it he did kind of like a grimace and then spun around like he couldn't believe it he was like it was like almost like he was knocked off his feet by how bad the goal was he, he's uh, not happy with Peter Holland uh, I can't imagine he's that happy with Polak who has not had a very good start to the season you know, it's it's just going to be interesting if we get to, you know, we're only 15, when, when we're only 15 or 20 games in, they haven't been winning, if the media starts picking on some of these things that, that Babcock's saying and blowing them up, and, and, and what happens with that? Well, so what do we think is the right approach to take with some of these issues? Because I like, I kind of, and it's so early, like, it's hard to tell, but I like how direct he is in a lot of these things. Like, he's not sugarcoating, he's not dancing around subjects for the most part. He's just kind of hitting right at it. Um, but sometimes that can be taken the wrong way. Like the, the, the goaltending is really interesting because obviously it hasn't been good at all and it wasn't good in training camp and it wasn't good, you know, in some of those preseason games. Uh, and he's been direct about that. You wonder, though, when it starts to not be the goalies. Like we haven't talked a lot 
uh, at least, you know, with Babcock, about Dion Phaneuf, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some of the issues that Dion Phaneuf has had. Mm-hmm. You wonder how he handles something like that. You know, that's when I think it'll get, get interesting because it's easier in some ways to talk about the goalies, which I will say is like a direct contrast to Randy Carlisle. But I think it'll be start to, to be interesting if some of those key guys don't play well and some haven't, how he, you know, goes about talking about Nazem Kadri, for example, if he doesn't play well. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, or I mean, they've got these veteran guys like Phaneuf, like Lupul, uh, Bozak, when, when he gets back healthy, that aren't going to be here in all likelihood when, when the team gets better. They, they kind of need to build them up a little bit and get the trade value up and play them in a lot of minutes. And I think that, that maybe that's part of what we're seeing with Phaneuf because they don't want to be stuck with that contract. Um, but so let me stop you right there. I think this is going to get really interesting because I think what we've seen from Dion Phaneuf so far hasn't been great. You know, they've taken away a lot of his duties. I think the same thing with Joffrey Lupul. I, I'm wondering how they're ever going to get to a point where they can trade those contracts. And, and I never want to say never because I didn't think it was possible to trade David Clarkson. Like, there have been so many things that I didn't think possible that are possible. Uh, but it's really hard to, to think of a team trading for Dion Phaneuf when he, his contract goes until 2021. Yeah, six more years, right? I mean, right. you know, it's not as if they can just wait these contracts out, you know. They've retained – there's so many bad deals. I mean, the longer that this goes on, the more terrible, really, that Dave Nonis' tenure looks in terms of how many bad contracts there are. I mean, the list is so long. Lupul, Phaneuf, Bozak, Roby Da. You know, it's just like it's amazing. It's like a, a half of a team cap space, team's cap space is is these bad deals. Clarkson should be on there, obviously. It's uh, it's 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 going to weigh them down regardless. And I think that part of what they were thinking coming into this year is that they would play these guys more, and their value might go up a little bit because last year it was so low because of how bad they finished. I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, this team is not scoring. They're, we could get to a situation where 20 games in, their point totals look embarrassing. And, and Phaneuf's had, had some offense, but some other guys have not. Yeah, I just don't I, – I agree with you. And I think it's going to be – it's an interesting situation specifically with Phaneuf. Like, is he their fourth best defenseman right now? Yeah, when, that, Gardner, I, when Gardner's healthy, yeah. Yeah. Right, when Gardner's healthy, like, and, and that's how, let's say he's your fourth best defenseman and he's got a $7 million cap hit for five more years after this one. This is where, like, you're right, this is where you start to look back at that known as tenure, and obviously we could see that emerging. I mean, you wrote about it, uh, I remember, like, a half or a few months before he was eventually fired. Uh, but this is where it starts to hurt you because the cap hasn't gone up like people thought it would. And now you're going to have Joffrey Lupul you know, for two more years making more than $5 million, Dion Phaneuf for five more years after this one making $7 million. It's going to be interesting to start seeing how they kind of work their way free from some of this stuff. And obviously, you know, Stefan Robidaw being potentially on long-term injured reserve, I guess that's one avenue that they could creatively take, even if it's a little bit shady. Yeah, and Horton on injured reserve. I mean, it's not like they have no cap space. The, the real concern is that when this team starts to get better and when you start wanting to pay, I mean – like like Morgan Riley's been playing 22, 23, I think he had 24 minutes against Arizona, and look, it looks great. And yep. the thing is, his contract's going to be up, and if he has a season this year where he plays 23 minutes the whole year, starts putting up some offense, 
you know, he's going to be due an enormous raise, enormous contract, and he's not going to be the only one. I mean, there's going to be more and more of these guys, that young guys that, that need contracts in two, three years from now. And if you still got this dead weight on there of a, a FNUF deal or whatever, I mean, I can't imagine that those contracts are going to be around. But what if you have to retain some salary like they did with Phil Kessel? I mean, they've already got that, that dead contract there. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, you're, it's going to get very, very interesting if these guys if all of them show they just they just can't live up to those deals. I mean, how do you how do you move that? You, you don't. Like I, I just can't see a scenario like who would trade for some of these deals. Like I, I think there would be a team that would trade for Tyler Bozak. I don't know about Joffrey Lupo. Like I, I can't see that right now. It's a lot of money and he's it's like a, a third line guy now. Well right. Like is he a forty point player now? I don't. Maybe. I don't even know if he is. I mean, right, and and so that's a that's a really troublesome spot. And like to your point, it doesn't get talked about a lot. We look at some of these big contracts, but even like their decision to to bring Morgan Riley into the NHL when they did, it is now going to end up costing them. Like they are they're having to pay him yeah. one year earlier, and now if like, yeah. you've gotten years out of him when they serve no purpose, do you know what I mean? Like they serve no purpose for where you're going. Yeah, I didn't like that year that they kept him. It didn't make any sense. The team, anyway, whatever. You just I mean, didn't need to do it. So yeah, yeah. That is just we could we, this could be a long podcast if we're getting into everything that they've done wrong the last two years. But the interesting thing is this whole new regime comes in with a lot of smart guys, and how do they resolve these issues? And if I'm them, I <laughs> I look for any avenue. I mean, they were telling they were seemed like they were telling teams no. Or they were asking for a whole lot for Fanuf in in the summer. Like they, I don't think they really tried very hard to trade him, and that's going to look that's not going to look very good if 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 his value goes down after this season. Well, that will be a mistake. You know, if they didn't, if they could have traded him and didn't, I, I think it already is. I think they probably should yeah. have gotten out from it. Like, and that's why you know you look back at the Phil Kessel trade. It's a li- it's different because he's at a different stage of his career. He's a different type of player. Uh, but at least you set yourself up that it's done. You know, the trade is done. You've gotten rid of most of the contract. You've gotten a couple pieces back, and you can walk away from it. Like, you, they could get stuck with, with that contract with Phaneuf, and I just don't know how you move it. Anyway, we don't need to spend our whole time talking about that. We should talk about Riley, though. I think it's really interesting, uh, one, how they're using him, two, how good he's looked. Like, this is, you know, when you think back to why they wanted Babcock now, this would be, you know, part of the the case, I would think. Well, and that was always one of my... The people that argued that Carlisle was getting the most out of that team by... I mean, the Leafs under Carlisle averaged were, were an 87-point team, which in the NHL you need about 95 points to make the playoffs. They were an 87-point team with pretty good goaltending and and basically, in, in, in a lot of ways, ignoring their young players and not developing them at all. I mean, that... To be an 87-point team and and not do the things that you need to do to get better and, and be a contending team doesn't impress me at all. I mean, it's it's the antithesis of of what what the Leafs should have been trying to do. So, yeah, I mean, this year has to be about Kadri and JVR who have looked pretty good, who are getting much different usage under Babcock. You know, it's some of the things he's done make a lot of sense. It's hard to argue with the results. I was looking at it today. Their their puck possessions up to almost fifty three percent after the the Coyotes game. You know, if if they were getting league average goaltending right now, I think that this conversation we would be having about this team would be so much different. They would probably be five hundred, and people would be saying 
that they're surprisingly a lot better than they expected. But that's not what's happened. And yeah, I mean, it could. It, it, it's so interesting. And, and then you got the fans that are that are happy because they feel like they're going to get a good draft pick, which it certainly looks like is going to be the outcome of the season. Yeah, and, and obviously that's better for the organization long term. But like to your point, listen to some of these numbers. I use these. I, we're recording this on, I guess, a Tuesday. Uh, I wrote about the goaltending today. Listen to these numbers. Like the shots are obvious. Everybody knows they're giving up less shots. Uh, but this is high danger chances, and this is war and ice stuff. Uh, last year, thirteen point seven per sixty minutes. This year, nine point nine. Uh, last year, scoring chances per sixty minutes, thirty two point four. This year, twenty two. Like that's ten fewer scoring chances a game. That's that's a lot. Right. You mean and, again? And so, against? Right. Against. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. like that's if you got goaltending, they'd be, you're right. They'd be a lot better. But the, the, what do you think of how they're using Riley? I think it's really interesting that. And, and obviously Jake Garner getting hurt changed it a little bit. But I really liked what they were doing, putting him with Hunwick, using him against other top lines, having him kill penalties. You know, that's that's different from obviously he, how he was used in his first two years, and that's expected for a guy that young coming into the league. Um, but I think it's it's good to keep expanding, you know, his responsibilities and see how he responds. Well, it's almost like Babcock's challenging him in a different way than he's challenging some other players in that he sees him... He, I think he sees that Riley is going to be a top-pair defenseman in the NHL, and he wants to see how much he can handle. And so far, he's shown that he can handle a lot. I mean, that game against the Coyotes, that comeback that they had, was, I think, in large part spearheaded by what Riley was doing. And just the plays he was making at the blue line, keeping the puck in, he had that one big jump, the goal he scored. You know, you can see him... He's got a good personality. You can see him turning into a kind of a leader, even though he's such a, a young guy. And he's the prototypical kind of defenseman that the NHL is going towards. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but a very, very good skater, very fast, uh, very good with the puck, not afraid to pinch, to, to, to rush. He's starting to shoot the puck a lot more. We saw that last year. And, you know, you ask Riley, and he talks about the things that Babcock's challenging him to do. And it's a lot of really interesting kind of defensive positioning things, like you know, uh, you know, taking away the gap and 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 challenging players in the defensive zone and being in the right positions. I mean, he's he's going to learn so much from Babcock here in this year that's going to serve him well in the next two or three years. And you know, that's that's the kind of thing that the kind of moral victory that 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 I think Leafs fans have to take out of this season is that those players are going to get better. Yeah, and that was you know. This is part of the thinking from Brendan Shanahan. They don't want to, or they didn't want to, because I don't know if you remember when when they were hiring Shanahan or when they were hiring Babcock. There were people who said, "Well, why do you want to hire him now? Like he's just going to make the team better." But I think their thinking was like that. That's insane thinking, by the way. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, I think the organization was thinking like they don't want to waste these assets. Like they want to see if under a good coach. Like, Nazem Kadri is a good player. They want to see if, if, you know, under a good coach, Jake Gardner can be an effective defenseman. Like, they didn't want to waste some of the pieces that they had, and obviously that's what Mike Babcock brings. But what you're saying about Riley brings to mind, you know, my conversation with Roman Polak before the year where he brought up that he thinks this guy is going to be a top-five defenseman in the league. And the point he kept making is especially with Babcock there. You know, and, and so, like, even it's not just – media you know and obviously the hype with Babcock has gone a little crazy but you can see even with the players that there is a a healthy 
respect for the, the caliber of coach he obviously is. Well, I think a lot of these players, after what happened the last couple of years, are very, very hungry for a message like this and to learn a system like this. And the, the only thing is they're not getting the results. So I just wonder if, right. you know, Babcock talked about in the, the Arizona game that they lost their confidence when Reimer let in that, that awful goal. And, you know, it, I just wonder if, if they've only won two or three games after 15, if they're going to be able to maintain the, the kind of confidence in the system that they had in the early going. But But you're right. I mean, I... There's there's certainly been some good things. I just think that it's going to be interesting the next month here whether they start winning or not. I think that's going to going to change a lot of things. If they start winning some games under them, then then uh, I, I think they could surprise some people. Well, the the two big things that they have to get better at right now is their goaltending has to be better. It's been bad, uh, and their special teams have been horrible. Like when you're a team that can't score a lot, and they they're never going to be able to score a lot with this team. You can't have a bad penalty kill and then also have a bad power play and then not get goaltending. Like, you have no chance to win. I, did, I didn't get the chance to read your piece on the special teams. I mean, like, was anyone able to nail something down on the power play and what's wrong with it? Because I'm having a hard time pinpointing exactly what's going wrong. So, there, Joffrey Lupo was really interesting, actually, about that. Um, I think he's right. Uh, this, I talked to him uh, the, the day after the Montreal game or a couple of days after the Montreal game, where they had 12 shots on, I think, four or five power plays. Yeah, that's the thing. They're generating a ton of... They had a lot. Look at the attempts, and they're way, way up from last year. Right, so they felt really good after that game, and they had a reason to. and, And he was really optimistic at that point because they were generating so much, and the message that they were given is, you know, you're doing the right things, just keep generating, keep generating, and eventually mm-hmm. they'll start to go in. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to Peter Holland in the week earlier, and he brought up a stat, I think, that he had been given that their shooting percentage on the power play was just like, like I think he said it was like 4%, mm-hmm. and that eventually mm-hmm. that was going to start to turn, and eventually they're going to start to get more chances. It's just such a different-looking power play without Kessel, and that was one of yeah. the things that Lupul said is, now they're not as predictable as they used to be, and, yeah. and I think that's a different, that's an advantage. I think the power play will get, I think both will get better. I can't imagine, like I looked up the save percentage, you know, on their penalty kill, and yeah. it's like 796 or something. Right. So if you start to get a save, you start to get a couple goals. I feel like the special teams will get better, but who knows? Well, that's it. That's why a lot of times you see the staff guys talking about even strength save percentage for goalies and for teams, because the special team save percentage, especially on the penalty kill, is very, very, very volatile. It can go all over the place. I mean, there's probably some teams in the NHL that have uh, penalty kill save percentages right now that are, like, totally ridiculous, like 970 or 980. I mean, that's that was one of the things that, that happened last year, early in the year. I remember they went on that run with 10-1-1, one, and, one, and then all of a sudden they, they, were, they were back in the playoff race and all that stuff. I mean, they had some really unsustainable things happening, and they're getting it the other way right now, and... I don't know. I, if, if there's a potential here on, for all the all these things to swing back the other way, for the shooting percentage to go up, for the save percentage to go up, and and like I said, them to start winning some games. But you know, it's after what happened last year. It's you don't want to try and predict what's going to happen in the next ten games because you never know. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, and, and I think you know when you look at the early season. It, again, like it's so early and it's so few games, so few starts for the goalies. But the Jonathan Bernier situation, I think, is going to be fascinating to watch all year, only because he has one more year. Yeah. So if he's not good, and and you can't really know 
what he's going to be the following year. Like, it could present an interesting situation, I think, down the line if he doesn't regroup, which I, I feel he'll get better. It's just how much better. How much value would he have if they decide that he's not the guy and they want to move on? And from a, With $4 million? Like, I mean, it doesn't yeah. really matter given where they're at as far as the cap, but... Not and ideal. then he would be UFA after that, obviously, because of his age. He'd be UFA after that last that second year. So, you know, if he's not the guy, then maybe you want to get an asset for him. But is he worth an asset? Does another team think he's a number one? You know, it's 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 such an important year for him. It's Reimer's in a situation where he can play himself out of the NHL, and that sounds really, really harsh, but... He hasn't shown he can be a good backup. The only good year he had, he wasn't the backup. You know, he was playing all the time. And if a team doesn't believe in him in either role, I mean, we're seeing a lot of turnover for goalies now. I mean, look at look at how well Tukarski played as the backup in Montreal, and he's in the AHL now. I mean, it's it's tough. It's really what have you done from done for me lately? And some of the backups that aren't very good have have managed to kick around. Like Lindback somehow got another contract, and and uh, and Jonas Gustafsson got another contract. He's in Boston, but you know it can be tough. So Reimer's got to have a much better season than he has so far. And and for Bernier, I mean, he needs to show he's a number one because if he's not, he's a really highly paid backup, and he might be one of those guys that gets stuck between being a number one and a backup. And you can only use him in a tandem situation, and those guys don't tend to make that much money either. Yeah, well, and, and he took the two-year contract for some security, you know, and you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, yeah. you take the one year and you're really betting on yourself. You're saying, I'm going to be that guy. I, I guess we just don't know. And, and the, the Reimer situation is, is interesting, too, to your point, because, I mean, you watch that game on Monday night. He did not look good the whole game. Like, it wasn't just the goals that went in. He just never looked comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, the, the market for goalies is changing. We talked about a lot about that last week. Um, you mentioned Kadri, you mentioned Van Riemsdyk. They've looked good at, at, at certain points, and obviously that's that's a good sign for the organization if they can take steps forward. But I was thinking ahead, and this is crazy because it's who knows what's going to happen. But let's say he has a good year. Okay, let's say fifty-five points, twenty goals, something like that. That's a good year for him, right? Yeah. What would you do if you were the Leafs? I heard you guys talking about this on Leafs Lunch, actually. Was it yesterday or the day before or something like that? Yeah, I mean, well, I was wondering about it because I don't know. Like, I'm not sure I'd go that long. I think Kadri, like like Brian Hayes said, I agree with him. I think that he's a good second-line center and that you know the goal for the Leafs is going to be to find someone that can play above him. What's interesting about, we talked about usage with Riley, usage with Kadri and JVR, and it's been Komarov on that line of late. They've been getting, against Arizona, they had like 93% zone starts. Like They've been getting some of the most favorable starts in the offensive zone out of any line that I've seen in the league this year. I mean, maybe that's the right usage for, for Kadri and, and Van Riemsdyk. And Van Riemsdyk is not the greatest defensive player. They're very, very good. I mean, I think Kadri, especially, we're going to see it the longer the year goes on. I mean, some of the things he's doing on the power play, I think, are, are really, really good. I think he, we're going to see him put up more points than than we've seen in, in the last couple of seasons. And maybe that's good usage for them, is to play a lot in the offensive zone. You know, it's... Uh, and then, and then the challenge for the Leafs is going to be to find a number one guy that can that can eat some of the tougher minutes. Well, and man, like that's where it starts to get interesting when, like, when you try to project with this team, and obviously it's impossible to do. But if the other guys that potentially play above him are Marner or Nylander, 
they don't seem like the type of guys that you're going to play in those situations either. Anyway, right. that's just like that's just right. way prognostication because who knows what they'll look like. But that's you know what like that's you and I talked a lot about this in past years with how they used how Randy Carlisle used Bozak Van Riemsdyk Kessel. It was putting them in a situation that they were just bound to fail, and 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 obviously the players should take some responsibility in that too. But like you look at how the Sedins were used all those years, just with heavy zone starts like that's that's coaching right that's like beyond the obvious you know what i mean yeah well vino went in there i mean i used to watch the canucks very very closely early in the Sedin's career and it wasn't really till if i remember correctly it wasn't really till elaine vino went in there and started giving them i mean some years they had 75 80 percent zone starts some of the highest in the league and then all of a sudden they started winning art ross trophies and heart trophies and you know it's right when, when you're getting all those a lot of those more of those offensive opportunities it can add up and teams like vancouver and chicago and more around the league have have started to do that and you know even jonathan taves has been getting a lot of that i mean you want your dangerous players playing more in the offensive zone than the defensive zone and that's an easy way to do it and if babcock doesn't have confidence in in, in Kadri's defensive abilities, and he's kind of tested Kadri against other teams' top players, and then he's moved away from that pretty quickly. So my sense is that he, he thinks that Kadri's still got more work to do defensively, and maybe that's why he tops out as a second-line guy. To answer your point, though, like, I, w- I would be okay with giving him a four-year contract. I mean, I don't think that... Uh, four, he, maybe. Four, maybe. Even if he's... I, I mean, it, it depends on, on how high the number is, too. I mean, I don't... I don't want to go crazy with with the term unless he shows he can produce uh, a, a lot of offense, more offense than he has so far this season. But he has the potential to do that. I mean, if he has a sixty point season, then yeah, I'll give him four years. So, and the thing I don't think that that would be an untradeable contract. The thing is, even if he's not part of the organizational plans, at least you've got an asset that's under contract that you can trade and get back another player, right? Yeah, that's true. But like, what about you know you've you've talked to me a lot about it the prime for offensive players. He's 25. Yep. So next year he'll be 26. Yep. He's still in that wheelhouse, right? Like he's still... Okay, yeah. but four years, right. he started moving away from that wheelhouse. Isn't like isn't it 27 or 28 when they start yep. exiting their prime? Right. But you're going to have him on a cap hit that's going to be the same four years from now that it's going to be in the beginning of the sure. deal. So if you get a if you get a reasonable one, like that's why these teams are signing these contracts, like what Gardner got, because they're presuming that the cap's going to keep going up and that number that they Gardner got, I think four million, right? If yeah. Gardner's a, a top four defenseman and the cap goes up to eighty million in four years and he's only making four million bucks, I mean that's going to look look pretty good. So you know that's those are the kind of bets that teams are making. And I think with Kadri, as long as the number's not too high, even if he's 28, 29 years old, you're still reasonably comfortable he's going to be a second-line center at a number that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, it's a lot because there's a lot of it behind the scenes that we, yeah. we won't be privy to. So there's yeah. that too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's the organization's concern with Kadri is that he, he smartens up and, and doesn't get involved with that kind of stuff anymore. One last thing before we go. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, I call them kind of the temporary leafs, short-term leafs, whatever you want to call them. Uh, the Sean Mathiases, the, you know, Mark Arcabello, P.A. Parento. Yeah, there's about 12 Brad of them Boyce. on this team. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, if any of those guys, has stood out either negatively or positively? Has any made an impression on you so far? 
I think Grabner's been terrible. Basically. Yeah, I, I don't. I didn't like how he looked in in training camp, and he's a good penalty killer. He's a ghost for a lot of the games. I think Matthias has played well. The injury set him back a little bit. I think you you give him some more time, and you know he he'll be an interesting one because if he can have a good season, I think a lot of teams will be interested in him. He's such a big guy. You know, maybe not a ton of offense, but I think he can be a fifteen goal you know, 35-point guy for you if you're not giving him power play time. So I think he's played okay. Um, I've been surprised that Parento hasn't really been very noticeable. I thought he would be more noticeable offensively. Arcabello hasn't really, doesn't really impress me. Um, you know, there, there's some talk that maybe they're going to put Peter Holland on waivers. I'd rather put Arcabello on waivers but just because he's three and a half years older than, than Holland. Mm-hmm. So... But to answer your question, no, I, no, a lot of those guys haven't really impressed me. I mean, Hunwick's played pretty well. Marinchin looks okay to me. Um, who am I forgetting here? Brad Boyce would be the only other one. Eh, he's He looked good in preseason, and then he hasn't been really as Yeah, noticeable. he's been pretty quiet. Well, yeah. it's just it, the only reason I, I bring it up is because you, if you're the Leafs, you sign those guys, obviously, to fill your roster. But you're also hoping that like some of them could, with all this opportunity, play well and then get you a a chip down the line at the trade deadline. Like it, it, it matters for them if these guys play well, because if PA Parento comes in and scores 17 goals before the deadline or something, probably not that many, but you can trade him and get something back. Like it matters for them if these guys actually succeed. Yeah. Which is why the offense has to pick it up a little bit. I mean, the power play has to get better and these guys have to start getting some of those secondary assists and their numbers right now, the numbers are bad. I mean, Phaneuf's the leading scorer on the team, right? He's got six points in eight games. Then there's some a couple guys with five, and then there's a Neil lot of guys. Neil Komarov's the leading goal scorer. That's yeah. hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess maybe you'll be able to trade Komarov. I mean, there's a contract that they could potentially move. But, you know, I think you talk about temporary leaves, I think that that applies to, you know, 10 to 14 guys on this team because I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of players that are safe when it comes to the trade deadline. Yeah, but I think those other guys that we discussed before, they're going to be in tough to move, so... Yeah. A, Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, no, I, I think that the, the only th- uh, it's interesting that what they're doing with the Marlies is that they're calling up these kind of like secondary. I don't know. I don't know if I want to call them non-prospects, but like certainly they're like Lesser grade, prospects. They're like grade C or grade D prospects that they're calling up, and then they're you know Babcock's been kind of over the top with with praise for for Byron. What do you call it, phrase? Is that a phrase? Correct. Yeah, phrase. I think I told you. Yeah, I, had I don't a know. Math, what the, what I had a math teacher. About? His name was his name was Froze, and he had the, he was spelled the same way. So phrase strikes me as kind of odd, but <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I, I don't. It's going to be interesting if they can move the the Brad Boyses and the and and, and Parento and some of these guys. I think we're going to see a whole bunch of these Marleys called up, um, or or maybe they trade for for more guys like Zach Sill and bring them in and just give them the minutes. Because they, well, they that's wanna, what they should do. That's yeah, what they should do. I mean, you can, if you want to play some of those young guys a few games down the stretch, okay. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. And the Marlies don't have a lot of guys like Fraser. They don't have a lot of older. You know, it's a very young team down there. I that's wonder if the one of the guys. Change, right. Yeah, I wonder if one of the guys that that Sashnikov they got from the KHL. I know he's been getting a lot of praise from Sheldon Keefe with the Marlies. He started to put up some offense. I think he's got three goals in the last couple of games. You know, maybe maybe he's a guy that gets a look at some point. He uh, 
he, I don't think he speaks any English, but he, he was a he guy that not. He, he competed pretty hard in, in, in uh, training camp. And, you know, maybe that's the kind of guy that gets a chance. Yeah, that would be interesting. I'd like to see him. Those guys were fun to watch in, uh, at the rookie tournament and then obviously in camp a little bit. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, we will talk next week. Thanks for this, James. Yep. Come and do what I want and ask what's up.